0: Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com, where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services, and also information on our forthcoming events. For now, though, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Guy, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Right, it's great to have you on the podcast. Really interested uh, to have sort of two wide-ranging conversations, although I think they'll interact uh, during the course of this podcast, Guy. One is about your experience in marketing and the creative sectors and how share some of that knowledge for the benefit of our listeners, but also got a really successful business, Pooch & Mutt. So actually, you know, want to hear a bit about your own entrepreneurial story and journey. So perhaps we should start there. So 2007, 2008 um, came out of the kind of creative marketing consultancy sectors, as I understand it, and formed Pooch
1: & Mutt. Tell our listeners a bit about that and how did that come about? Um, yeah, it wasn't quite as clear cut as we could make it sound. Um, I could ma- Life never is, is no, it? No, <laughs> and there's ways of polishing it. There's like the official version and I've, you know, I've moved slightly away from the official version towards the truth, which is always nice. Um, <laughs> but a few things happened around the same time, uh, around 2007. Um, I was running a creative department of a media agency. They were looking to sell the media agency. So they basically kind of made me redundant but kind of said you can take your clients with you and we'll still work together but you don't want to be part of the package we're trying to sell uh for a variety of reasons so I did that at the same time uh I read a piece about the founder of Red Bull uh, okay and saying basically he was a marketer he knew that he could sell a product he just needed to find the right product to sell and then he'd be able to build it and I was very arrogant and thought I'm a marketer and I can just sell a product that's all <laughs> you need uh, and, and equally that a lot of my clients were doing quite well on the back of yeah. work that I was doing and I wasn't doing that well out of the back of it. Um, so that happened and at the same time I, uh, my mum and dad's dog uh, cookie got diagnosed with hip dysplasia okay and my my mum has a company that makes health supplements for horses uh we treated cookie with the horse joint supplement and it worked brilliantly Wow. Uh, and the vet was very happy and then so that all kind of came together and i was like well i could probably do this and sell this as a product so build it as a product and at the same time it was kind of the start of the online advertising thing yeah really um and I was making TV ads for people and stuff. And I thought, well, if I can prove with a product that I can build online sales and do online marketing for a product, then I can offer that as a service to other people through marketing consultancy. So there were all these little things coming together. Yeah. So it was what people would now call a side hustle. Okay. Um, yeah. But that didn't exist at the time. Uh, so, But that's what it was. And then it just grew beyond that. Uh, you know, the first... And I like say so Black Friday week, um, this year, we turned over more than our annual turnover for my first five wow. years. Spectacular. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you don't know what the annual turnover was for the first five yeah. years, but yeah. It, it, <laughs> I'm it, assuming. It is. It is. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was tiny for the first five years and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I... And And it was very much a side project. And it was
0: a side hustle. You were still doing your consultancy
1: and all of those kind of things. Yeah, and I remember even at that stage, I was going in and I was chatting to kind of corporate finance people and and investment people, and I was trying to understand that market and how it worked. Yeah. Um, And I remember feeling like a grown-up in the room, even though I wasn't, and saying, well, I'm also doing other stuff on the side. And a guy looked at me dead straight, and he's like, well, you couldn't afford to buy a shirt if you weren't, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, straight, straight talking. I, hey?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, what made you get serious about the product the,
1: about Pooch and Matt? Um I did. I applied for a government program which was very good, called the Growth Accelerator Program. Okay. I don't know if it ever really exists. If it still exists, and um, had a very good coach. And for the first time, and this sounds crazy now because it's something I massively preach to other people, but the first time he sat down and said you know where do you want to be in five years mm. and we and we painted a picture using a tool called an orbit template which i recommend to lots of people um just google orbit template and yeah. hopefully you'll find it um we painted a picture of kind of what the company could look like in five years um and then worked backwards from there yeah and it was the first time i'd done that and kind of built a plan um and now i tell people there's a there's a seneca quote which is uh if you don't know to which port you're sailing, no wind is favourable. Yeah, um, And that's kind of something I live by now, but I had no idea about at the time. So that that was one of the key turning points, was actually like, oh, you know, making a plan. And once you make yeah. a plan, then you, you just have to deliver it. It's yeah. that simple. But
0: the orbit templates and orbit, plan, orbit planning is, is so strong that we do it within Inspire because we set this three-year plan and just work back.
1: Yeah, what and it's it so simple. Want to be there...
0: How do you how do you get there? What are the steps? And yeah,
1: it's-, it's so simple. And I, you know, I do a lot of uh, some mentoring and advising at the moment. And and I was chatting to a friend of mine last night who's got a business that's doing quite well or has the potential to do quite well. And the idea to a lot of people of like, you know, looking to a point in the future and making a plan to get there, um, a lot of people don't think about it. No, um, I've done a talk. So I also weirdly around the same time I got into kind of fitness marathon training and i've done a talk about it where i say look nobody gets up in the morning and runs a marathon and thinks about running a marathon you don't do that you say i'm going to run a marathon in april next year Um, so you have a date of april next year you have a target of 26.2 miles and then you just work backwards from that and it's like right if i can run 10k by october if i can run 15k by december etc 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 you end up beating your target or at least meeting your target it's all about breaking it down like that yeah and people just don't think to apply that to a business no
0: we just plow on regardless yeah times with no focus and and no targets or exactly what what are the stepping stones
1: and one of the things i think i've been quite good at compared to other people and this might be just because i like doing it but it's that um working on your business not in your business um And I have some really great people at work with me and like the day-to-day all runs very, very well without me. And my job is to kind of work on it of where it can be. And was that a conscious decision from day
0: one or is it something you've enabled the business to get to that point to enable you to be that person?
1: There's a bit of both. Okay. You know, there's a bit... No one would start a business like I started business now um, because especially in a product business you would go to kickstarter and once you've gone to kickstarter you go to cedars and once you've gone to cedars you go to a vc and like there is a route to fund and a route to growth and you know i do mentoring at uh, imperial college and everyone is talking in like series a series b like that that's not a language i had when i started and that roadmap wasn't there when i started you know no one would do five years now and run out your AIS time without knowing it um, with in a product business so it definitely wasn't kind of the goal to do it like that and and also I spent five years doing every job you know, mm. I did our monthly accounts in um, a really bad spreadsheet <laughs> didn't really work um, you know, I put code on our website to enable us to do e yeah. sales I was going to the post office with an Ikea bag for the yeah. file online. So it didn't start delivery. in that way. In yeah, so in it, so before. I kind of, but by doing, I don't think I'm great at anything, but I think I'm quite good at lots of little things. Okay. So everyone that works for me is kind of better at their job than yeah. I could be, but I have enough understanding of everybody else's job um, to be able to work with them and kind of set the vision.
0: And do you um, think that was important because clearly you'd come from a services background, and then you're in a product business, and and I'll ask you about the differentials in a minute. But but do you think you needed to learn to do every job because you hadn't had that from your background?
1: I wasn't very good at a services job, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's an it honest response, it wasn't, it wasn't, isn't it? <laughs> I I was in um, I was in advertising and marketing as a fr- as a frustrated creative, effectively. Okay. Um, it's there's a concept I read about the other day called shadow jobs where. You know, it's like a movie director who ends up being an agent yeah. because they don't want to be a director. Or they, ain't. I didn't do the path to be a creative. I would have been a much better advertising creative. I was a terrible account handler, okay. effectively. Um, which is a whole other story. Um, which is why I ended up kind of pushing into lots of creative yeah. avenues and kind of getting out of what my job role should have been,
0: effectively. Right. Uh, so do you wish you'd found product earlier in your career?
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, at the start, it was kind of... Having a product was my own kind of way of being able to do my own marketing for myself. Well, and I'm kind of good at that. And I was that. going to ask you that as well, yeah. I
0: suppose. Was was
1: it the product that was important day one, or was it creating the brand? I was definitely creating the brand. Okay. it was definitely creating the brand. But a brand that does something, and a brand that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like I was launching a cigarette brand or a junk food no. brand or something like that. So it had to be something that that would be called purpose now but wasn't then um so it had to be something that that did good in whatever you define as good um but it wasn't i like i'm not like i'm a dog crazy person who wanted to to do a, a dog business and equally now as much as obviously there is a bit about making we are making brilliant dog food that and dog and dog supplements that yeah. makes a real difference and genuinely makes a real difference to dogs lives and we get amazing reviews about how much we do make a difference yeah. but that's still only part of it there is a big part of it which is about growing the team and enabling the team uh, which is really important to me you know and and even to the point where we've got at the moment a lot of our team have kind of been off of jobs elsewhere and I'm kind of proud that they have yeah. you know it's annoying to have to recruit but it's proud that you know people are coming in and really developing their careers and giving them that opportunity and they have flourished as individuals yeah. and yeah and, so that's yeah. really important to me and also it's kind of the challenge the mental challenge of kind of running and building a business like i'm really good at kind of growth and growth opportunities i'm terrible at day-to-day okay my team my management team joke with me because i and i know you know this is from if everyone knows about Belbin, but it's about my Belbin kind of profile says yeah. this. I'm brilliant at starting things. I have loads of great ideas. I'm terrible at finishing them. Right. Um, so I've got a great team that kind of wrestles projects off me to make sure they actually get done. So I've got two things
0: come out of that. One is a conversation around purpose. So I'll make sure we have that in a moment. But for somebody, and it's kind of that entrepreneurial, that founder spirit, that business owner that, you know, typically we all like shiny new things. How do you stop yourself chasing the shiny new thing, the shiny new business, the shiny new opportunity and focus on the one business? Because you Uh, seem to have done that really well. You might tell a different story, but from the face of it, that seems a strong proposition for you.
1: A a couple of things on that. One, um, an author I don't particularly like called Gino Wickman has a book called Rocket Fuel. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is about basically... If you are, I was called a monkey, uh, which is chasing shiny new things. If you are that person, you need a good number two Mm. or a good team around you to kind of tell you when to get back in your box and challenge you, but also take the good ideas and make them happen. Mm. Um, so that's important. I mean, I also went through a phase where I did quite detailed business plans on, uh, a men's kind of face care brand. I did one on a gym. I did another D to C project. Okay. And actually what I learned about myself through that process is I then took all my learnings of my planning and it might be called uh, to many people it's called zero cost budgeting, which yep. is, a, it's just a way of starting. What would I do a business if I started from scratch now? And you just take a totally different sector and you make a plan, but then you can take the learnings from that plan and put it into your existing business. Yep. Um. So I do quite a bit of that because I do chase shiny new things and I do get excited by shiny new things. Um, I also do the mentoring that I'm doing, especially with the guys say at Imperial Mm -hmm. where they are kind of 22, 24 year olds and it's very early on their journey. So being able to help them kind of scratches that itch for me quite a bit. Um, and also we bought, I mean, we bought in a great non-exec, pseudo non-exec, um, who is kind of very focused on him and him um, and my commercial director are very good at kind of looking at the budget, what we can afford, what we should be okay. doing, what's yep. working well. Uh, you know, his thing is, you know, find out what you do well and do more of it. Yep. So they kind of keep me in line. <laughs> <laughs> at times a challenge possibly, but they do keep you in line. Hey? Yeah. And there is, that's one of the problems actually we've had, which has been quite interesting is I'm very much... Um, Always after new things and doing yeah. new shiny things, and just wanting to push growth. Yeah. Um, we went through a phase with kind of like commercial director and pseudo non-exec where the focus was much more about profitability, and it needed to be at that yeah. point. And we needed to kind of batten down hatches and focus on the things we were doing well. Mm. And there was a little bit where it kind of I noticed like we were doing the right things, but the magic was going. Yeah. And then I kind of had to consciously kind of put the magic back yeah and it is a fine balance there is a there is a yeah it is a kind of a seesaw isn't there there's yeah. a
0: balancing point between you can you can cost control to the nth degree you can but and you can focus on that consolidation and all of that kind of thing but if it takes the fun out of it and doesn't and you lose the kind of essence of what the brand's all about then yeah actually you lose you can lose everything you need both but there
1: is this kind of and and we went through a phase and that's when we kind of were were looking for funding and and, you know once we sorted funding out and we have a partner who is looking at growth. they look at growth you know we're very aligned um we've got an investor who is our manufacturer and they look at things in terms of tons of dog food sold you know And between, because they're making the food and they've got a margin because we're selling it and we've got a margin, actually, even if we're not profitable, we're kind of profitable as a group. So it it works. Um, And that's one of the things that I kind of warn a lot of other people about is when you, you know, who you take your money from Mm. and do you want to work with them and are you aligned? Um, And luckily, we've got really good alignment, but I know a lot of people that don't. That's trip hazard, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's... At that point, when you take funding in and you're pursuing and you need the money, and you make the wrong choice, yeah, and loads that, of that people get surprised. Yeah. And
1: people are like, "Oh, well, our PE wants us to do this." So it's like, yeah. well, you know, their job's to make money. Yeah. Their job is to sell their shares for more than they bought them from. Yeah. They've got a time three line. to five year timeline. They are they're yeah. working back their five year plan, aren't they? Yeah, and it's you then go on to you are on someone else's schedule, and that's fine if you've. I think nowadays you've got a lot of people who understand that journey of, you know, whether it's crowdfunding up through VC, up to PE and they'll want to IPO. But um, if you understand that journey and you build a business for that journey and kind of for that kind of cookie cutter approach, which is not that difficult to do, to be honest, but you've just got to know who wants what metrics at what point and you build it around that. Whereas if you've built a business organically, And then you're kind of trying to squash it into that. It's a lot harder. Yeah. So, obviously, by the
0: sounds of it, you've successfully fundraised. You've got good funding partners on board. Two or three hints and tips to anybody listening, looking for funding right now.
1: What would you do? Um, Well, you know, the number one thing for funding, and which everyone gets really shocked at when I tell them, uh, and it's not that shocking, is... um, and because we're in an accountancy office, this makes a lot of sense. But you've got to understand cash flow. Yeah. And under, you know, I funded. I went to um, a business growth program at Cranfield Business School. Yeah. Uh, which I highly recommend to people. It's for businesses doing kind of two to twenty million. Um, their selling point is, you can get so far on kind of nouns and intelligence. We'll tell you how to do it properly, um, <laughs> which is a great bit of positioning. Um, but based on one of their cash flow lectures, I was like, oh. God, I can't believe everybody knows this. Um, and I just restructured the whole business based effectively on that one lecture. Okay. And you can fund your business through cash flow, you know, extended, you know, we put in, you know, moved accountancy so we could do invoice financing. Yeah. We moved our manufacturer to the one that didn't necessarily offer us the best prices, but offered us the best payment terms. Yeah. Um and a lot of people who are looking to fund should go to their manufacturer. And say I'll give you 5% of my business if you give me six month payment terms. Yeah. And that will fund your business for far, far, far longer than selling 5% for 100 grand. Yeah. And and it's about understanding that working capital cycle, isn't it? Where does my
0: cash get tied up? Yeah. And how can I release some of that cash?
1: Yeah. And it, and, and, and it all depends on your model yeah. as well. I mean, it all depends on the model you're going for. You know, equally... There is the you know there's a few in our sector who are looking at that that VC model you know there's three dog food companies who between them are losing thirty million a year. Um, thirty million, which is just taking value out of the market for everyone else. I mean they're literally wow, giving squishing stuff for the value. market for you. Yeah, yeah, and everybody you know I talk to all these city people, they're like, oh, aren't these companies doing great? They've gone, you know, mm-hmm. they've gone from twelve to twenty million in a year, and it's like. Yeah, they've lost 20 doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's not that hard. <laughs> they're losing um, £2 pound for every pound of sales they grow. Yeah. But actually, you know, they're, it's those companies tend to be people with a finance background who understand finance, who understand yeah. how it works. They, The products are relevant to them. Um, and they just understand how it works. Mm. So you can raise money. So I think that is my second, first bit of advice is look at cash flow. Second bit of advice, if you want to go down that route, you know, Work out what journey you're going to take. Yeah. Are you the fast growth, massive loss making, need loads of cash company? Yeah. Are you kind of a profitable, slow growth company? You know, do you want money out for you? Are you happy to kind of wait 10 years and struggle with VCs and be bossed around by a load of people on other people's agendas, but you'll get more money in the long run, potentially with yeah. the risk there? So it's, those are the two things that I think you need to look at first definitely could we have a little bit of a conversation about purpose because
0: it was interesting you mentioned that earlier and i know you've got some strong opinions on yeah purpose because and i suppose particularly with your marketing head on because do you think that kind of word purpose is being a bit saturated at the moment everybody yes. says they've got a business with purpose
1: yes i think it's been massively saturated and right. you know i don't watch tv advertising very much but everyone's doing at the moment and it's just a bit boring yeah um I think the article I wrote said that all these studies came out and said that companies with purpose are overperforming or outperforming companies without purpose. Mm. But maybe they were at the time of the studies, but if everyone jumps on that bagwagon and everybody has a purpose, um, then they don't outperform because everybody's doing it. Yeah. Um and I also think that customers are smarter than people think they yeah. are, than a lot of companies and you know I used a couple of examples, and this is more about people who are just doing purpose badly and jumping on the purpose bandwagon. You know, I think you called it purpose washing. I did call washing. it purpose washing. I like want to get purpose, now purpose washing. Now yeah. purpose and that's it, yeah. exactly what it is. You know, you look at Philip Morris have got the purpose of having a smoke-free world. Mm. You know, I could go to Philip Morris in a day and work out to have them a smoke-free world. You just turn the machines off. <laughs> Done. It's easy. They don't believe that purpose. You know, where an equally like Coca-Cola have got some, you know, planet inspired, you know, trying to be green purpose, but they're the number one plastic polluter in the world. Mm. You know, if they believed it, they could do something about it. And yeah. also I, the Coca-Cola example is interesting because if they had the balls, they could set a very clear goal. They can have a very clear, you will never find a Coke bottle on a beach within 5 years from mm. now. They could do that and they could make that happen and they could align the whole of their company to that and it would work. If they had the balls to do it it would work and yeah. it would make a difference. But they don't have the balls to do it because they don't care that much and they just want to sell sugary water. Yeah. Um and people see through it and you saw I mean again with there was a great bit in the summer of at uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's press conference yes. when he's like pushing the coke bottles off the table. Yeah. And if they had a real purpose that they believed, he wouldn't be doing that because he could get behind it. Um, So I think there's just a lot of bullshit out there, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, And I don't... I think you can really care. Like, if Coke really cared, they could really do something. But they don't. And there's a lot of this kind of purpose washing. Mm. And I don't really think that most companies should... um, should kind of go to a purpose consultant and and find out what their purpose is it should be there at the start i mean yeah. I'll, I'll, it should be in the dna isn't yeah particularly it? in an entrepreneurial owner managed business exactly it's like, why do it otherwise yeah and there is a, there is a point at which a company outgrows a founder and you need potentially to bring in an agency to clarify exactly what that founder meant when mm. he was talking or she was talking about the purpose but, you know, we, you know, I've never had to say, you know, that we kind of believe in equal opportunities, employment. Yeah. You know, I remember I was in a, I was in a, uh, this business group I was in, and everyone was talking about the anti-slavery policies. And I was like, has everyone got an anti-slavery policy? And they're like, yeah, you've got to have an anti-slavery policy. I was like, but I've, why? I've never even, that would never even occur to me that, yeah. That would be needed. It's so obviously something we would never do. Um, hmm. And we've always had environment at heart. We've, you know, our first ever packaging was biodegradable packaging, which actually isn't the best of the environment I since found out. But that, <laughs> goes, <live> in <laughs> that goes into the greenwashing argument. Um, but yeah, I think there's just... We wanted to do something right from the start. Yeah. And yes, you need to formalise that at some point. But, you know, putting stupid purposes like a smoke-free world onto... Yeah. Philip Morris is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, but I and also I don't, you know, I I don't believe every company needs a purpose. Yep. You know, or that actually no, that's not true. I believe every company needs a purpose. I don't believe that every purpose needs to be a grand kind of saving the world purpose. No. You know, your purpose could be to just make really good coffee, well, yeah. and that's your purpose. And you can obviously go on top of that and go, well, that coffee's gonna liven people up and they're you know going to enable them to lead their best lives but But you don't need to some of the best businesses that probably do
0: have purpose or do do business the right way possibly didn't start that way yeah they started because they made great coffee and then they're making great coffee and they think well actually how can we have a better effect on the planet on the world on our clients on our customers
1: now we're making great coffee we can do those things exactly and there's a great in the article i wrote i put a the example of uh, micro scooters, okay, uh, mainly because I have to buy them for my daughter. Um, <laughs> but they don't really talk, you know, there's a load of purpose that they could talk about, kind yeah. of about getting kids active. They also have um, a scooter made out of kind of ocean retrieved plastic, which is really good. They don't shout about it, they're not like this is our purpose. You can kind of just tell looking at them mm. that they just want to do the right thing, yeah, do
0: business the right way, do
1: the business the right way, and I think that's the way things are going mm-hmm. that people just want to do things the right way and you don't need if you're doing things the right way your customers will find out they yeah. you don't need to shout about it and ram it down their throats and everyone is ramming it down their throat so it doesn't really make a difference it if you do stand out from the crowd
0: no i su- i suppose if we're on that kind of branding kind of marketing kind of piece yeah. Again, obviously with all that expertise that you've had, you know, what lessons perhaps have you learned working with some major brands, you know, MTV, Mini and others
1: about what good marketing is? Oh, big brands don't really know what good marketing is? That's the they um It's but, it, it's interesting because it makes you realize your um point of difference as a small brand. Okay. and as, especially kind of when I did uh a strategy piece about Pooch and Mutt. There's, um, there's a bit in Malcolm Gladwell's book um, when he talks about David and Goliath. Um, and I've, picked, I've shown this to loads of people who work for me. No one knew who David and Goliath was, which was <laughs> shocking enough. But um, he, Malcolm Gladwell looked at David and Goliath's story and he said, actually, if you look at what people were doing with a sling mm-hmm. in those days, they could take a bird in flight out of the sky they were incredibly accurate with slings uh and they've done reports on kind of sling rocks and sling bullets and they're kind of the um the equivalent of a small caliber gun so everyone thinks as you know david is the underdog against the giant goliath but the reality is that david took a gun to a sword fight and won yeah and that's the kind of the real story of being a small brand against big brands yeah we have the power. We're, you know, we're nimble. We have the power. I mean, Pooch Mutt is now, I think, the biggest hope when I say this, but one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, pet food brands on Instagram. And that's where customers are. Yeah. Customers aren't watching TV no. and watching TV ads and reading newspapers. They're on Instagram. And big companies have no idea how to use it. And, you know, we've been doing it for 10 years or whatever, but they just even 10 years on they don't know how to use yeah. it uh, and as things grow and develop all these the big brands just don't know what to do which is why they buy smaller brands Yeah, effectively yeah. It's who it's do large. know what to do and then they tend to destroy them yeah. time and time again Yeah. Um, I suppose Sue so if you're
0: a small business be it services or product and you want to make the most of your marketing spend then is that you've it's one of the tips that you've just already mentioned being nimble yeah use your use the fact that you're small and you're agile
1: yeah what other tips would you have measure okay because we now live in and i've had a big um (laughs) keep having arguments with a with a guy called professor byron sharp who wrote a book called how brands grow i keep having arguments with him on um twitter (laughs) which i quite enjoy um You've obviously got he different doesn't. viewpoints. We have very <laughs> different viewpoints, but he is, you know, his book is a very, very good book. If you work at a big brand in the nineties, yeah, um, but unfortunately, we don't. People don't work at big brands in the nineties. Yeah. Um, we live in a world where you can measure everything. You can measure all of your data, and actually, when you have such small budgets as small companies do. You should be measuring everything you do and you should be measuring and optimizing everything you do. And it's easy to do it I and mean, it's incredibly easy to compared to how it used to be. The the flip side of that is all the big brands. There is a certain point of scale and you actually see it in some fast growth companies as well that they do everything kind of right as a small company. And they measure everything, and they get everything right, they get to ROI, but you get to a certain scale and equally a certain funding level. Hmm. So you get all these companies and you know, they've, they're given 60 million and they've got to spend 60 million to grow over three years. When you get to that stage, you have to spend it really quickly. And that's when you go on TV and buses and do all the vanity yeah. marketing, which you can't measure. Um, and it's hard, you know, people underestimate when they're looking at funding, it's quite hard to spend that much money. It's especially hard to spend that much money well purposefully yeah yeah so the having little can be a bonus yeah because the less you have the more you have to just make it work and you have to kind of rinse every penny and you really care about it um you know i have fought literally fought for the pennies um because we've had to yeah um and that's how you learn to make things work but a lot of business
0: is start with somebody with a great idea passion for what they do they possibly haven't come from a sales and marketing background
1: lucky them i would say because okay i came into it thinking you know marketing is everything yeah you know more accountants should set up businesses like, accountancy is what drives everything. Mm. You know, it's the numbers which help you understand what's happening in, business, in your business. And I had to spend years learning that yeah. to be able to effectively read what's going on. So if you can understand accountancy and cash flow and, and how everything's working, uh, what products are profitable, you're going to have a, probably a much stronger foundation yeah. for your business. Equally, I massively underestimated operations, you know, it's, it's great to have a great idea and a great product and you think people could yeah. sell it. But I remember the first, when we first started to, to grow, we got quite famous and we won these design awards for having dog treats and colourful tubes. Uh, and I scraped the money together for the first order of empty tubes. And our packer who was doing it called me up and I knew him quite well. And he's like, you know, we've just had three trucks of empty tubes delivered I was like, no. it's like we've not got anywhere to put them and I was like oh I can see yeah that would be a bit of a problem and that just it never occurred to me and never occurred to me to look at the operational side of things right. of like how we'd store them where we'd store them you know how you rotate shelf lives how you look at different products looking at the tail of your products um looking at you know the full costings of way of manufacturing distributing moving things around yeah. um and yeah accountants and operations is what you know that's the engine yeah you know there's there's the shiny outside but you need a good engine
0: okay and do you believe you can hire in the expertise and consultants for the shiny outside the marketing bit
1: uh, you can hire in. you can hire in expertise for anything hmm. um one of the things i say to people is to be very clear on what you want that expertise to be and hmm. to do um someone I'm working with was saying that she wanted to hire in a marketing agency. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to do, but you, there's, um, there's a stage I like to look at, which is kind of like your mission or vision. And then you go down to strategies, objectives, tactics, and you you can flow through like that. And it's a good way of looking at it. And I think one of the problems is that everyone hires in tactics. Yeah. Um, Without setting objectives yeah. and objectives matching the overall strategy. Yeah. And that's just the wrong way around. So, you know, when I was talking to her, I was like, yes, you may need to hire someone in, but let's kind of work out what you want to achieve first, what the goal is. And actually, once you do that, it's like, I need to hire someone to manage influencer outreach on Instagram, yeah. for example, is where you could get to not just go to a marketing agency and say, and say help, help, I need marketing. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, you can, you can bring in, you can outsource or you can insource or you can hire whatever expertise you need. But you just need to know you need to do the work, which is the kind of working on your business, not in your business. Mm-hmm. You just need to do the work to work out exactly what that is. Otherwise, you just throw your money away.
0: So this is quite a
1: mature conversation, and
0: it's one where you've clearly gone through the journey to get there. How different is the guy in front of me today to the guy that set up the business in 2008?
1: I, I mean, not even comparable. Um, I'm less arrogant. I might not sound it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm less arrogant. Definitely. I'm more knowledgeable. Um and that's investment in
0: yourself, self-development, doing the Cranfield course, all yeah, of those I've things. Done, that's, I mean, what's I've, really made you change?
1: So, effect. like I say, I work with growth accelerator course to start yeah. off with, um, which was a big investment of my time and the government's money, which was nice. Um, I did Cranfield, which was a big investment of my time and my money, or Pooch and Mutt's money. Yeah. I've done a course at the London Stock Exchange, which was an even bigger investment of money and, and time. Uh, and, and that's more around the funding piece as well. Um, I mean, those are the kind of the bigger investments. I have read many, many, many books, listened to many books, listened to many podcasts, talked to many people. Um, you know, I, I am what I've now found out is called an autodidact, which is, I'm not particularly good at school. I'm not particularly good at being taught stuff, but I'm very good at learning stuff on my own. And I just, and I, and also learning in the area and identifying the areas where I've needed to, to learn. And that's not just on the business. That's kind of in personal growth as well, uh, in, you know, mental fitness, physical fitness, you know, I, and, and I apply that to the team. You know, I'm, I'm, it's really important to me to have kind of healthy people in the business Mm. as a mentally and physically healthy. I don't want people pushed to exhaustion. I want people to be happy, uh, you know, when we did have an office, which we've now ditched people, everyone's going to the gym together at lunchtime, walking to, you know, going out for walks together, going out for runs together, people having lunch together. Mm. Um, it's not about just kind of making everybody work stupidly hard. It's the same for me, you know, working out, you know, what's important to me in yeah. life. Um, I believe that nobody on their deathbed, Ever goes, oh, I wish I'd worked harder on that PowerPoint presentation. I wish I'd spent more time at work. Mm. They do think I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. I, you know, Mm. and and you know, I've said this in a few articles and publicly. I'm very proud of what I've achieved with Pooch and Mutt. um, What I've achieved myself, but I'm equally proud that I've done that. I've done 90% of my, 95% of my kids' bath times. You know, wow. I'm, I am home to be, with, you know, working at home now, but I've been at home to, with them every evening. I see them every day. I spend the weekends with them. Um, you know, I've equally, you know, managed to fit in two marathons and a half Ironman. Last week I deadlifted 200 kilos, which I was very proud of, um, you know, so it's building in a lot of stuff, which isn't just work. Yeah. Um, and, and that, sh- that for me is more important
0: that's a really, yeah, it's a great philosophy, isn't it? And I think that particularly with having it for your team, because there's a lot of business owners that think about, well, I need that balance if such a thing exists, but you know, that balance um, for myself, but actually are quite selfish about it and don't think about the need for their team. And it's when you start to think about wider for the team and what does that mean for their well being that you
1: can see exponential. Yeah, benefits, and you can, and you? it's not easy. I mean, also. I'm not I don't think we've got that right yeah you know I've hired some really good people who you know some of whom have pushed themselves too hard yeah. and I'm trying to you know rein them back Yeah. Um, which is a weird position to be in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but like I don't I don't want people exhausting themselves because you because it's very short termist anyway. It just leads to kind of resentment yeah. and more recruitment anyway. But equally, I kind of I want people to kind of flourish in their lives. Yeah. Um, there's a good thing Tim Ferriss has says where he's like, you need three things in your life. One of them can be work. One can be family. One can be exercise. One can be anything. Yeah. But if you have three things in your life, when one goes badly, one might go well. Yeah. So you you know, you can do a 200 kg deadlift and something goes really wrong at work, but at least you can be happy at <laughs> one a, while you're really annoyed a, about the there's other. There's something with
0: a smile on your face, yeah. yeah. And do so you obviously really believe that balance does exist and it's not a myth? And do you look for balance in a traditional way? And I'll explain that, because I think as a business-owned entrepreneur, it's quite difficult, because we don't lead that Monday to Friday, nine to five life all the time but we have those opportunities to be present to do stuff to be around our kids to but we what we're really bad at in my opinion is trying to be present in the moment we're often distracted with what the business is all about but you seem to have quite a passionate view that you can have that as a business owner that nine to five yeah work life yeah yeah
1: i mean you absolutely can i didn't for a long time i will say and we've been more successful since i have had it yeah um I used to have... I normally wear this bracelet with a skull on it and it's to remind you about being dead. It's the stoic concept of memento mori and thinking of your death. But there's a thing of like... If you think about your death or there's another thing in stoic philosophy where you think about your children's death, which people think is a bit weird to talk about. Mm. But if you think about your children's death, when you're trying to read a newspaper or you're scrolling through Instagram on your phone and your kid's doing something where they want your attention and you're like, I want to scroll on Instagram... Well, imagine if you woke up the next morning your kid had died in their sleep not only would you obviously feel bad about your kid dying their sleep yeah. but you'd feel worse because the time that you hadn't been present you were on your yeah. phone looking at instagram when they wanted to play with you but if you think about that happening and then you give that time to your kids when you're with them and you're present when you're with yeah. them then you will have nothing you'll feel bad about it but you won't necessarily feel guilty about mm. it if something happens yeah. okay um I think that's important I also think that the whole one of the things I would like in life which as well as kind of creating the word purpose washing I would like people to talk about life work balance and not work life balance yeah because it is the wrong way around yeah you know there's a lot of people that don't have work life balance but the question is what are you doing it for Mm. you know and there's a lot of people out there and they want to do you know i'm speaking as a parent now but it doesn't have to be as a parent but a lot of people say things like i want to do the best for my kids i want to them to go to this school and turn Mm. up in this car and take them on this holiday and whatever fine but at at what cost Mm. you know would the best you know not for them maybe not having a ridiculously expensive ski holiday but maybe you go camping together and spend time together and it's a tenth of the cost but you're more present with your kids, and you can yeah. enjoy it. So there's a bit of kind of, what's it all for yeah. anyway? And then there's the concept of the hedonic treadmill, which I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh, Not, no. Whatever you get, you always want more. It's, right. it's as simple as that. You it's know, like a sense of you, desire. I agree. Yeah. Want. If you're a yeah. car person and you want a BMW, when you've got a BMW, the day that you've got it, you want a Porsche. Yeah. The day that you've got your Porsche, you want a Ferrari. Like it's, it just keeps going. Yeah. And you don't take the time to appreciate it.
0: Enjoy the moment. There's one of, there's a, he's been a guest on the podcast, but he's a friend as well, Neil Crespin, and he spoke at one of our conferences and he put this really simple graph on and up, and I'll try and explain it for the listeners. But it was simply, it had three columns on it, and the first one's really high, and it was the desire or want for something before you have it. Yeah, And the want is so incredible and it's high. The Then the middle graph is that feeling of want and desire when you actually have it yeah. and it's minimal. And then if you lose it and you don't have it anymore, that desire and want for it yeah. is huge again. And it does make you think about, well, just appreciate the things you have, the relationships you
1: have, the people yeah. around you. And that's the same. So, this, you know, the stoic thing about whether it's about your kids dying. But the other thing is, if you want a more comfortable bed, sleep on the floor for three nights. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly your bed's really comfortable you know it's you know there's even the my, have you tried that one I did actually buy a new bed but got, <laughs> I have massive issues with sleep but you know even my my daughter's got a book um, a Dina Donaldson book called A Squash and a Squeeze yeah and it's the same concept she wants a big house some guy comes along and fills her house with animals because you know she's like I need more space she fill a house with animals take all the animals out suddenly you've got a really big space, space in your house um, it's so, you know, there's a lot of concepts like that and yes there are easier concepts and harder concepts so to go through but you've clearly thought about it and made changes in your life
0: to have that better balance what was you, if you don't mind me asking what was your wake up call?
1: I don't I actually don't think do you th- there was I think so I had a very clear moment where um, a friend of mine runs a, a charity called Building Schools for Burma. Yeah. It's a very good charity. Everyone should look it up. Um, you know, He's raised about 50 grand and, bought, and built about 10 schools and done amazing. It's incredible wow. what he's managed to do with the micro charity approach. So what was it called again? Building Schools for Burma. There we are. Uh, and um, he asked me in 2011 when I was kind of really unfit um, uh, to run a half marathon. and group was going to run a half marathon to raise some money for his charity. And Peter wasn't in a very good place at the time. Like, we were still, you know, a um, couple hundred grand turnover a year. And, um, and I did the marathon. Now, it's the first time that I kind of, like I said earlier, I made a plan and I followed the plan and I built something and, and kind of had the, su- had the feeling of succeeding at something that I'd put the work into and that for me was a really big switch from what is now called again um kind of switching from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset to actually there aren't better athletes better business people talented people I think the word talent is should be banned um that doesn't exist there is having a plan and putting the work in and it was like well i proved i can do that for a half marathon i ended up doing it for a marathon lots of other stuff Um, and it's exactly the same as having as kind of what i was doing at work it was just like put a plan have a goal have a plan put the work in that's fine and also having that point of knowing what the work is yeah because if you've got that route you only need to do what's on that route you don't need to do all the other shit that's where you can yeah, start saying no like, that's just noise yeah, yeah that's all that sort of... and it makes decision making really clear it's like well we don't need to do that because that isn't on the goal contextual yeah.
0: decision making isn't it you know, every decision is made in context of is it heading yeah. towards the goal or not
1: and it's and you know as i got healthier and my work life balance if that's what you want to call it got healthier the business did better yeah um and it's as simple as that. There was no kind of crisis point or anything no. uh, anything else. It was just like clearly this you know, this growth mindset approach, whether it's in your business or your personal yeah. life or whatever, you can apply it to everything. We talk to a team about it. It's the one number one kind of attribute we want them to have.
0: Yeah. It's that growth mindset. And we talk to them in their and, one-to-ones about it all the time. And it's
1: really hard. And I've written another overly opinionated piece on this (laughs) because if you look at what we are exposed to growing up Mm. if you look at you know i wrote a piece the other uh, last year called why the queen's gambit is mental poison and if you look at from the queen's gambit to harry potter to luke skywalker to karate kid all these things are oh look at these innately talented people yeah. who can do it I mean if you like I loved Karate Kid as, as a child but and I've done loads of martial arts in martial arts especially if you've done the martial arts for 10 years you beat the person who's done it for a year Yeah, always you don't come along and paint a <laughs> fence and suddenly you can beat someone who's done it for 10 years who's stronger and fitter than you it doesn't work The person who wins is the person who puts in the work and follows the plan. But we're exposed to all of this myth that, you know, Luke can come along and, you know, train with Yoda for a week and suddenly he can control the force or Danielson can paint a fence and suddenly he can beat Johnny and all of that. And it's just not true. That is not how life works. And actually, but we're exposed to it for so long. It's so hard to fight that ingrained thought that so-and-so is more talented than us. Like talent is a myth yeah. and not only is talent a myth but saying that someone is talented makes you think well I'm not talented so I can't do it well you know fuck Just that you can that do barriers it up. Yeah, it yeah. puts the Just barrier up get, get rid of that and try yeah Um and there's a great thing that you know you can whether you try you have three options you can try something you can try something and fail and you can try something and succeed yeah but actually, trying something and failing and just not trying are the same thing. So you really have two. So you may as well just do stuff and you know, see what happens. See what happens. Wow.
0: I've really enjoyed our conversation. But we do need to bring it towards an end. Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple of things. First is, I suppose, you talk about having a five-year plan, you know, and that's the way in which you build kind of the future. So where do you, I'm going to ask you, where do you hope to see
1: Pooch and Mutt in five years? And where do you hope to see yourself, Guy? Well, Pooch and Mutt's an interesting one because it's something I'm working on at the moment. And for the first time, because of the investment setup we've got with our manufacturers, yeah. it's the first time I'm looking at Pooch and Mutt, the UK brand, yeah. and Pooch and Mutt kind of as a company. Okay. Uh, because... Our manufacturer has lots of interesting brands that, you know, I've worked, I'm working on an eco brand with them, which is separate to Pooch and Mutt, but we could bring that into the Pooch and Mutt company and sell it, but not as the brand. Yeah. And equally, there's Pooch and Mutt, this kind of um, European expansion. So that's kind of looking, looking at those both separately. But um, yeah, we've got we've got a very good relationship with our kind of investor manufacturer and it's all about kind of leveraging that. So you've got that
0: platform now,
1: foundations and platform to go. And it's taken a long time to firstly get that relationship working. And secondly, kind of embed how it works properly uh, and kind of create the foundations between us both and how we work together. But building on that is how we're going to succeed in the next five years. And you personally? Is a, who knows at this point um there is a bit where I will be stepping back from the day to day operations of of Pooch and Mutt I've you know I'm also I've been offered a role on the board of the parent company so there's that way opportunity yeah Um, and I've got other plans beyond that I'm I'm enjoying the mentoring that I really like doing but equally it's it's really hard to kind of work with people and then you don't see them for a month and then you go back and work with them um I've got a couple of ideas for a business book and one book in a totally other sector, which Okay. I'll, uh so does Watch, this space, Watch list this space I think
0: is the answer to that one.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and then the final question and what's been great about this conversation, Guy, is you know, we call it the Evolve to Succeed podcast and exploring how people have changed on their journey and you've definitely been through that journey and that change and changing your philosophy and the stoic kind of pieces and philosophies that you bring into your everyday life. So But we, you know, it is called the evolve to succeed. So final question has to be, what's your personal definition of success? Oh, I'm
1: hoping you're going to say what's my personal definition of of evolve, which would be. um, And I would say that's moving on from stoicism to looking at Alan Watts and everybody should look at Alan Watts. Okay. Um, My definition of success. I think it's a lot of it is to do with enabling the success of those around. Uh, you know, if I see whether that's my team doing well or my kids doing yeah. well, or my wife doing well, you know, she's doing really well. My kids are flourishing with the company's doing really well. Um, it's more about that than me. I don't, I, you know, which probably is something I need to work on uh, and be kind of more proud of myself and more about me. Uh, and I and I kind of know that, but I like to see everyone else doing well. Brilliant. Fantastic. Guy,
0: if people want to learn more about you and more about Pooch and Mutt, where can they go? Um,
1: if they want to learn, they should follow Pooch and Mutt on all kind of social media. Go to the poochandmutt.co.uk website, uh, buy lots of really great stuff for their dogs and their (laughs) dogs will thank them for it. If they want stupidly opinionated, um, nonsensical stuff me ranting about how stupid Brexit is uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Guy Blasky but that comes with a warning
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant thank you Guy for being such a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast Thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to EvolveMembers.com.